Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Well, we've been in the middle uh, of our... We're right now, actually, in the middle of our Wednesday evening series, Clash of Convictions, uh, where we've just been seeing how our views and our convictions on challenging life issues are formed and shaped out of the way that we view the world our worldview. We each have a dominant lens through which we see reality. And whether we like it or not, (laughs) we all look through a lens that has been silently formed, silently shaped by our backgrounds, by our experiences, and of course by the culture in which we live. And we plan this series really to kind of recognise how difficult it is to have conversations in the public space, uh, in our culture, in the day in which we live. Because we come from a very different starting point, a very different premise to our secular friends. I think Rory Shiner had an interesting slide the other night, a couple of weeks ago, uh, where it was pointed out that there is... Um, there was a time, we've got then up there, <laughs> um, when we lived in a kind of Christian culture, you know, where the born-again Christians, seeing that, that culture there, where the born-again Christians were really the kind of full-on ones, you know, the serious ones, but a lot of the cultures, a lot of the values, the Christian values were permeating out through society. But now there is a split And that split is becoming more and more distinctive, quite distinctive, between a secular culture and a Christian culture. And Os Guinness says something like this, which is good. He said, it's like a cut flower, beautiful flower, that lasts for a while, but then it dies. So we must, as the Lord's people, go to the very foundations of both the Christian and the secular worldviews, um, to see how they've been shaped and formed. Because foundations, I believe, are significant. Starting points. You see, in the beginning, random forces and eternal matter. And so in the beginning, no God, but me and my feelings... My thoughts, you see, this is the beginning of the secular worldview. This is the beginning of that view. That's the starting point. But how about this? In the beginning, God. In the beginning, a loving creator, a beautiful creator, who created with purpose and with intent and with meaning in love. Who is love in himself? What a contrast. What a different starting point to build our values, to understand who we are. And so in our culture these days, it's important to be respectful and honouring in all the conversations that we have. That's important. But we need to understand how to engage when we come from such a vastly different starting point. We have such a beautiful story to tell 
and such a beautiful story to live out of. But we need to be good, better, all of us, at communicating that. Now, I'm sure you've said, or you've heard it said, what's gone wrong with the world? What's happening? What's gone wrong with us all? What on earth is going on in the world? So many tragedies, senseless bombings and killings, no regard for human life, broken relationships, broken families, loneliness, domestic violence, child abuse of all sorts, hatred, killing, warring, fighting, murders, suicides. And there's such suffering and hurt in the world, heartache, brokenness, even here in our city, let alone the enormity of the pain and suffering in the world in which we live. Yet, there is so many good things happening and so many loving and caring people whose hearts are to make the world a better place to live. There's so, many, so much to enjoy in this world. There's so much to enter into and experience in the world we live. Many great friendships to enjoy. You know, loving families and loving people many opportunities, and there's great hope. So why is there this huge contrast, bitter, sweet, that we all experience in our daily lives, every one of us, we're not immune to it? And in every culture, in every era, people have had some kind of story to explain it all, to help make sense of the human experience not make sense of human life. Kind of this big picture, this overarching story that seeks to make sense of all of our stories. And these meta-narratives or worldviews are asking and answering the same sorts of questions. How did the universe come into being? Where did we come from? Why are we here? What does it mean to be human? How can we do so many good things and yet be so greedy and selfish. What's wrong with us? Why is there suffering in the world? Why do we die? Can it be fixed? If so, who is going to fix it and how? These are all big questions that many cultures have asked. In our culture today, there are many explanations being offered, but there's no single larger compelling narrative that makes sense of all of the smaller stories. And yet in our Christian culture, in our heritage as Christians, we have the meta-narrative in the scriptures. It's in the word. And the story that makes sense of all of our stories is the first part of the Bible. It's Genesis 1 to 11. The foundational story. What an incredible gift this story is to us. And the second part of the Bible... Genesis 12 to Revelation 22 begins, this, begins with the story of Abraham and Sarah and it kind of moves through the history of Israel to the coming of Christ to the beginning of the church and finishes with the new heavens and the new earth. It's a wonderful story, but the second part only makes sense when understood in the context of the first part. The story in Genesis 1 to 11, the story that makes sense of all of our stories is there in 11 chapters. And so this big picture frames the Christian worldview and it begins with this life-giving news 
that the universe did not just happen randomly, but was created with purpose. We didn't just happen. Someone wanted us to happen. We've been created with dignity and purpose. And that there is a personal God, a personal God, a loving God, the one who created all things. He's eternal. He is the one and only eternal one. Nothing else is eternal but God himself. And, God, and in so doing, God created us, human beings, in his image and in his likeness. Amazing, really. He's made us like no other created thing. He's made us to represent him in the earth, to reflect his character, to reflect his life, to show who he is in the earth. But we also discover that there's an evil one whose intent is to destroy the image of God in the earth, hates God is utterly against God. He's, he's out to destroy God's image in his creation. And so if he's out to destroy God's image, who God is in his creation, who's he targeting? You and me. We're made in the image of God. We're the image bearers of God in the earth. And so he's out to warp and to twist and to destroy human beings. But God is God. And God is faithful. And the meta-narrative in Genesis 1 to 11 goes on to help us understand what's gone wrong with the world. What's gone wrong with us? That something actually went drastically wrong with our relationship with God. And I mean drastically. I mean something went seriously wrong with our relationship with God himself. And that led to uh, problems with our relationship with ourselves and with others and with the world. We discover why relationships are difficult, why there's suffering in the world, why there's evil at work in the world, why there is death. And we discover that God, we discover that God graciously promises to rescue and to save us unto life, that God is faithful. He's the faithful creator. In Genesis 1 to 11, we begin to also see why Jesus needed to come. Without 1 to 11, we don't see why he needed to come and what did he come to do? So we might sense something's wrong in our hearts, but this is the narrative that tells us why he came and what he needed to do. And of course, as we walk through the whole story, we're led to the feet of Jesus, the human person that we were originally intended to be like, the true human being. And so Genesis 1 to 11 is a story that makes sense of the world. It lays the foundations that make sense of the rest of the Bible and it makes sense of every story. So today I want to focus on what went wrong with humanity. 
What's wrong with the world and what God is doing about it? Big questions. And in Genesis 1 and 2, we're given this kind of big picture view of what God, a view of what and who we were created to be. It's a beautiful picture. And we see this. We see the eternal God. We see the eternal God who said, let us, let us make mankind in our image and likeness. We see that the eternal God is a community. We see that God himself is a community of love. Let us make humanity. We term it the Trinity. And so at the centre of all things is a relationship. The relationship. It's the centre of everything. And we were made by the relationship, that is, by God. We were made for the relationship, God. We were made to live in the relationship, God. See, this is the most fundamental thing that the scriptures tell us about being human. We are made in the image of a relational God. And life is about right relationships. It's not good to be alone. And we know that. Not good to be an island. None of us are an island and can exist. Even God does not live alone. So to, so, so to know who we are, our unique self... We must know the God in whose image we have been created. And that's God's heart for us, that we know him. So this relational reality for us essentially involves kind of a four-fold relational harmony. A A relationship with the earth, with other people, with ourselves and with God. And so firstly, we were made for a relationship with the earth. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. Which is saying to be human is to have physical bodies, to live in bodied lives and to enjoy living in in bodied lives. We're not floating spirits, but our bodies are good. Our Our bodies are not the problem. They're an integral part of who we are. And a very good creation. Of course, today in our culture, there's this separation. We need to look for it, this separation of the bodies from the real self. It's false. It's not the Christian vision of reality. It's a dualism. It's a split of body and soul. And it leads to very sad lifestyle consequences. So at one extreme... There's this whole idea that since I am not my body, I can do whatever I want with it. And whatever I do with my body doesn't affect the real me. Therefore, whatever behaviour, whatever I want to do with my body is okay. Any sort of sexual immorality is fine. It's only the body. It's not the real me. The other extreme says, since I am not my body... I'll deny its physical needs. 
I'll deny enjoyment. I'll deny food. I'll deny pleasure of any sort. The body is actually the flesh life. No, that's not what the scriptures mean when they talk about flesh life. It's not talking about the body. It's talking about something else. But we can actually turn and not enjoy and enter into an embodied existence that God wants us to enter into. Our bodies are good. This separation of the body from the inner self is not the Christian vision of life. Secondly, we were made for relationship with other people. You see, the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. This is why loneliness is so debilitating for us. See, that word helper, Azar, is used mainly of God, actually, in the Bible. Azar refers to a powerful person who comes to save someone who cannot make it on their own. Someone who is powerful to save someone who is in great need and cannot make it on their own. And the phrase suitable for him in Hebrew means corresponding to, equal to, to be different but complementary. So Adam, male man, needs Eve, female woman, and vice versa. We need one another, is what the scriptures are telling us. This doesn't mean we have to be married, but male and female in community is God's heart, the solidarity of the human race. That's how we are formed into the image of God in community. God is a community. And so we're formed to be the people who God intends us to be. We need one another. We are social beings. Thirdly, we are made for relationship with self. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. See, this doesn't mean that we were originally created to live in a nudist colony. It's not what it means. See, naked and not ashamed is a Middle Eastern way of saying, I can be myself without wearing a mask. Do you see that? Without being someone I'm not. I can be real, I can be transparent, I can be who I am and not be ashamed of that. You know, this whole beautiful idea of body, soul and spirit being in happy, happy unity. You know, an integral whole. You know, I'm not in the wrong body or I'm not needing to be someone else. Secure in who I am. It's a beautiful peace that God has created for us to be, an integrated whole. Fourthly, we were created for relationship with God without which none of these other relationships actually work. It's the most important. We were made, yes, out of the dust of the ground, but God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Do you know what that means? It means that God wants us to know him. 
to know him, to share his life. And when God talks about sharing his life with us, he's talking about sharing his inner life, his being with us. He's breathed his life. That's why we've been created to be filled with the spirit of God. We were created to be filled with God, with his Holy Spirit, indwelt by another. Now, the proper functioning of this fourfold relationship is what we call shalom. What a beautiful word, peace. Peace, well-being, wholeness. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. But all of this relational fullness or harmony hinged on just one command. Peace hinged on one command. Genesis 2.16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Now God has generously provided for human life and he wants us to live freely and he wants us to be fulfilled in our lives, to be fully alive, to, to live in peace and joy and love. So it's all about fullness of life, which is God's heart for us. But then God goes on to say, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. Now, this is the only command of the do not nature that God gives. One and only one command. Now, you might say, well, what about the Ten Commandments? What about the sum of the law, love God, love neighbour? It's just so helpful to see that all these other commands came after the first, the one and only command was broken. And they're all given. These other commands were given uh, in grace and in love because the one command in the Garden of Eden was not believed but disobeyed with devastating consequences. And it's good for us to be clear about this one command and what it means. And we must first, before I have a look at the tree, we must first see that God has given humanity all we need to live fully. He loves us. He's held nothing back. The one command is not limiting or restricting in any way. God is not withholding anything from us. God in this one command is warning us about death. God doesn't say, I'll punish you or I'll cause you to die. Rather, God is saying, if you eat I will not need to punish you. The natural consequence of choosing to eat from this tree is death, not life, but death. So the command was given to prevent us ruining our lives. God is treating us as free. See, we're we're free, rational beings. We've been made in the image of God and he will not dehumanise us. He will not take away our freedom as human beings. You see, to be like God, to be like him, we must be free. We must be able to make moral choices. We're not robots. We're not cursed by God, but we're made in the image. And God is perfectly free. And so we have that in us. 
a freedom. But God loves us. Such is the magnificence and dignity of what it is to be a human person. The psalmist David says in Psalm 8, just a little lower than Elohim, just a little lower than God. Not God, but just a little lower, made in the very image of God. So God, in giving this one command, in a sense, is taking a huge risk. He's created a good creation. Then he places humanity in the world to represent him, to reflect him, with the freedom and power to ruin the very good creation. But this is speaking of who we are as human beings. God won't push us around. So what, so what actually is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, the tree refers to a particular kind of knowledge. And the scriptures help us to understand the phrase and why God prohibits prohibits it. See, it turns out that only God has the source knowledge of good and evil, that only God can have it and live. See, we have knowledge. God loves us to have knowledge. We know about good. We know about evil, but do not have the knowledge of good and evil. We are not God. We are not eternal. We are creatures created by the eternal one. We're not the source of all things. And Daniel Fuller from Fuller Seminary, after studying the phrase in scriptures, wrote, which I think is very helpful for us, it would appear that to the original readers of Genesis 2, the expression to know good and evil signifies the possession of that maturity which frees one from being dependent on someone else for guidance on how to act wisely. I like that. Beautiful summary. In other words, the phrase signifies the the capacity to live independently wise, to live independently wealthy, to live independently in all good things. As someone who is all knowing, who knows all wisdom, who knows what's right and wrong in every situation apart from anyone else. So God is saying in not eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that Adam and Eve were not to aspire to that maturity possessed only by God. They, were they, where they consider themselves to be independent of him and able to enjoy a fulfilled life by taking matters into their own hands, being their own God, setting their own values. See, only God has this kind of knowledge. And only God can live independently of another. He is the eternal community. Theologian and friend Daryl Johnson summarised, expounded this um, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and what God was actually saying when he said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this, I think, is really helpful. Daryl says, Adam, this is God speaking, Daryl writing, uh, Adam, you are what you are because of me, your creator. You're a glorious creature, magnificent, beyond what you yourself know. I have made you to depend on me for life, 
All I ask of you is that you be you, a creature, a human being. You are free, but do not use your freedom to try to be other than you are, a dependent creature. Do not try to be your own God. For all your magnificence, you cannot be your own God. You be you, and I'll be me. Do not try to be what I am. I tell you this for your own sake. If you try to be me, if you try to be an independent being, you will ruin your world. You will die. And I think that's a very good summary of God's heart in giving that command. If you cut yourself off from the very source of life, eventually there will be death, apart from the very grace of God. It's like a cut flower, a beautiful cut flower out of a garden. It survives, it looks great for a while, but in the end, it dies. It withers and it dies. See, God gives only one command. Do not try to live without me. The one who made you. Connect with life. You've been created to be filled with the Spirit. You've been made for the highest to live in relationship with me, your God, to share my life and my character and values, my everlasting life. See, this is the one command that was in the beginning, the one and only command that was in the beginning, and that God is speaking to us today, and I believe he speaks to every human being, every moment of every day, this one command. Don't live independently of me. So what went wrong in the beginning? Well, Adam and Eve did not believe God. That is the definition of sin. That is the definition of sin. Deciding you know best, and so deciding to make life work on your own, independently. So Adam and Eve took and they ate and they cast off all dependence on God. And immediately they experienced what? Guilt, shame, and relational breakdown. They discovered they were not God. And instead of becoming more like God, they became less like the humans God made them to be. They became dependent on drives and forces beneath their own dignity. Deciding to eat did not give them the knowledge of good and evil, nor did it make them independent or able to live life on their own. This is why there's death in the world. This is why there's disharmony. This is why there's suffering in the world. This is why there's broken relationships. This is why there's confusion. And this is why there's greed. And this is why there's selfishness. See, a worldview that leaves God out means we decide on our own what is good and evil, what is right and what is wrong. We decide our own values on matters like identity, on matters like sexuality, on matters like life, and on matters like death. See, this leads to incredible confusion. Any worldview not shaped by God as creator, but shaped by our own feelings, of course, is subject to personal changes in opinion or someone else's opinion about what's good and what's right. In the end, there needs to be someone who's right, on these matters um, and our fickle mind changes. I've had many conversations over the years where I've heard it said something like this, well, this is how I feel 
And this is the way that things are for me. No matter what you might say, Simon, this is the way that it is for me. Now, we need to be careful. Sometimes I respond, sometimes I don't. But if I respond, I often say something like this. Well, the way that things are for you is not the way that things are meant to be. The world is not the way that it's meant to be. We're broken. All of us are broken. Your feelings are not always the best guide to wisdom. So the good news, the good news is that though Adam and Eve... Uh, eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, them eating is not the end of the story. There's good news, praise God. Thank God, the faithful creator. See, in the middle of the garden was another tree, the tree of life was in the garden. And the tree of life there, and we later sort of understand in the scriptures that the tree of life is in fact God himself. And the tree represents the life that comes from God in Christ to us. So these two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, are images telling us that as human persons, we have choice. Choice to choose life or to choose death. We have that freedom to choose life or death. See, in the the Garden of Eden images of the two trees, see, we're free to eat life and we're free to eat death. We're free. We're made in the image of God. We cannot blame God for any decisions that we make because we're human persons made in his image and made to relate to him. We've broken it. And so we are culpable. But God in his loving kindness and his grace is working out in the earth a rescue plan. A rescue plan. And we call it good news. We call it the gospel actually, don't we? But it's very, very good news. It's incredibly good news. Jesus The Son of God, God himself became a human person. He took on flesh and blood and he walked the earth as one of us. He related perfectly with his Father and he's shown us that death does not have the final word. A human being has overcome death and his name is Jesus. And Jesus' resurrection is proof of that. So in Jesus, we are rescued from life, from death to life. In Jesus, we are rescued from death to life. God is faithful to us. And so today we have the choice to live in Adam, the old humanity, or to live in Jesus the new humanity. We have the choice. And Jesus, when he walked the earth, said this in John fifteen five. See, Jesus as the tree of life 
says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is the truth. And Jesus, in the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation twenty-two fourteen, says this, Blessed are those, should come up on the screen here, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may go through the gates into the city, into the city of God. And so we hear a lot about the tree of life in the book of Revelation. See, there's only one command. God is saying, trust me. I will be your God, you be human. I will be the creator, you be the creature. Believe into my son Jesus, the true human person, and live in intimate relationship and dependence on me. Jesus wants us, and his heart is, that we choose life, not death. We come to him, and he's offering life to us, even today. Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you.